Well, good morning. I hope that you are feeling blessed and encouraged today. You know, today I'm sure after the service, as you go on the rest of your day, life's going to be fairly normal. You're going to go find somewhere to go for lunch and maybe have some family time later today. But throughout this day, I want you to remember this name, Sergei Zevlever. Sergei Zevlever is a man who lives in Ukraine. He is a man who has spent his life standing in the gap for children in that region who need foster home and who need to be adopted, who need to find their forever home. Sergei stood in the gap for them for years, helping those children find forever homes. I have a college friend who has two children that he adopted with the help of Sergei. This morning we learned Sergei lost his life yesterday, fighting for his country. Today, as you go on your day, I want you to put a face to the name that you see when you turn on the news. Remember Sergei. Remember his family. Remember those people right now who are in desperate situations. Friends, let's pray for Ukraine right now. Father in heaven, right now we just... We just want to stand in the gap. We want to stand in the gap and, you know, there's power in prayer. And Lord God, we so often forget that. But right now in this moment, we go to you, Father, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And we just pray for the people of Ukraine. I pray for us. It's not just something we turn on the news and feel bad about. But may we see the people. May we hear their cries. And Lord God, we just pray for peace right now. We pray for your protection. And we pray for those people. Lord God, and through this darkness, may your light shine. May your light shine bright. And Lord God, as we move forward in our lives, may we not neglect our role to pray for others. And may we make a commitment to that. And Father God, right now as we prepare our hearts and our minds for this message, Lord, speak into our life. Speak boldly into our hearts that we may hear you in a new way. Tear down any walls that we may have built up that we may see you. Lord, we invite you into this place and we ask that you move in, this, in our midst. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the funniest things that I enjoy watching on the YouTubes are the dance cams at sporting events. Have you ever watched those? I mean, the people who've just gone a little bit overboard dancing when the Jumbotron is trying to find people in the crowd dancing. And if you've ever seen me at PNC Park or Heinz Field or somewhere else, when they start moving that around, I mean, I start feeling the jive, you know? Like, I just want to get on the Jumbotron, and I am more than willing to embarrass my boys if it gets us on the Jumbotron. They know it. You know, because I think deep down, some of us, let's just be honest, we enjoy the spotlight. We want to be in the spotlight, because deep down in all of us, at some level, we desire and we crave attention. I think one of our deepest desires as human beings is for attention. And we all crave it. We all crave it at different levels. Some of us more than others. 
And we all try to do things in order to obtain attention. And the question is, is that a good thing? What we do to try to obtain attention, is it really good? You see, I think sometimes we put ourselves in bad situations or we create bad habits or we just do, sorry, stupid things just so that we can be noticed. Because deep within all of us, we have a desire to be seen and to be known. But how we accomplish that really makes a difference. Because there's some significant pitfalls if our focus is all about trying to seek attention. You know, in the New Testament, in the Bible, there were the Pharisees. We started talking about them a little bit last week. But the Pharisees lived their lives trying to seek attention. You see, the Pharisees, as you read the Gospels, you quickly realize, boy, they, they enjoyed the spotlight a little bit too much. They enjoyed getting everybody just ooing and aahing about how amazing they are. I mean, Jesus constantly talked to them about their, their desire to be in the spotlight, to gain attention of their religious practices and, and, and everybody looking at them of how holy they are. And then sometimes, like our encounter today with Jesus in Luke chapter 7, we see them in a whole different light. You see, one of these Pharisees invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. And back in that day, what the Pharisees would do is they would invite the elite, the special, the, the celebrities, if you will, over to their house to eat. Because they kind of want to show off their wealth. They want to show off their, their position in life. I mean, it was just more about gaining the spotlight. You know who they never invited? Were the, were the ordinary people. The, the sinners, the everyday people. In fact, not only did they not invite them, they wanted to kind of beef up their desire for the spotlight. So what they normally would do is they would kind of open up the courtyard of their home and allow those people all to kind of be hanging out in the courtyard of their home as they invited these elite people over to their house for dinner so that all the ordinary people could just be hanging out in the courtyard, ooing and aahing over, hey, Look who's at their house. Look at this Pharisee. I mean, look at the plates they're using. I mean, the dishes. I mean, how amazing is that? It's almost kind of like the early stages of the Oscars. And we do it. Our version of that is today. We turn on the this nightly shows and, oh, we, ooh and ah, look at that celebrity. Look what they're eating. Oh, look what they're wearing. Look at the dress she has on. We are the same way, aren't we? Some people just enjoy the spotlight just a little bit too much. And that was the Pharisees. And there this Pharisee had Jesus over his house. You know, they, he was, had the attitude of seeking attention. The attitude of entertain, of you're there, I'm your entertainment. And then this lady showed up. This lady showed up. And she crashed the party. Have you ever been to a party and there was a crasher to the party? My oldest son, when he was younger, he was having this birthday party at this place that used to be in the mall called Giggles and Smiles. And it was a fun place to take your kids. I loved it because I could just dump them and then go grab a cup of coffee. I mean, it was awesome. But we would have their birthday parties there. And it was a beautiful place because their kids could just play, wear off their energy, and then they go into the little party room. Well, this one particular day... There was this other child there. 
And it was our whole party and this other child playing. And nobody knew who this child was. And then we went to the party room and we all sat down around the table. And, and I began to look around. I was like, I don't know that kid. And I didn't think much of it because my wife is the one who's better apt of knowing all the friends and who all was invited to the party. So I thought, well, there's just some other kid I didn't ever met before, but he's, he's someone from school or somewhere, and he's here at the party. And then my, my wife came over and said, do you know who that boy is? I thought you knew who that boy was. I don't know. And so we started quietly, like, we don't want to embarrass him, like, I don't know who he is. Who, who did we miss out on the invitation list? And also we went over to my son, and I, we said, we said, Sai, who is that boy? Do you, know, does, do you know everybody at the party? And he, in his young way, looked around and goes, I know everybody, but who is that kid? <laughs> and we quickly realized that the family dropped the boy off at the wrong birthday party. <laughs> but we had a birthday party crasher. Have you ever had that? Have you ever crashed a party? Well, in this story, we see the party crasher. And it was this woman. This woman, by the Pharisees' mindset, should be out in the courtyard. She did not belong in the home. That's not where the Pharisee wanted her. The Pharisee's name is named Simon. That's not where Simon wanted her. He wanted the attention on himself. But here was this woman. She made her way from the courtyard into the house. And then this happened. Luke 7, 36 through 37 when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And then a woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Hear this woman. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her. She's just described as the sinful woman. I mean, would you really want your legacy to be that? I don't really know Bill's name. All I know is he was a sinful guy. What a legacy. But that's how she was described. As the sinful woman. And here she was, just standing there. And you know, I think there's something powerful here. There's something powerful in the silence of the scriptures. Sometimes I think we read through the scriptures so fast that we miss the powerful moments that often comes in the silence. And here in this particular story, in this particular encounter, there is a moment of silence in the scriptures that speaks volumes of the heart of God. And that is in the, in the description of this woman. She is just a sinful woman. You know, like the Pharisees did in that day and age, we tend to make a big fuss about the specifics of sin, that we overlook the simple fact that every sin is the same, that it separates us from God. You know, there's speculation on what her sin may have been. But you see, the Bible says that's not the point. And too often, all throughout history, just like the Pharisees, we debate and we argue about what was the sin? What's the worst sin? How despicable are you? And you see, the reality is this, what the Bible here is saying, in the silence of the moment, all sin is equal. In the fact that it separates us from the heart of God. 
Stop focusing on the specific of sin and start being honest with the reality that we are all sinners. We're all messed up. And because of it, we all get separated from God because of our own poor choices. You see, there's power there. It separates us from God. It stops us from moving forward to what we talked about last week towards righteousness, being right before God. If you missed last week's message, go to our YouTube, Impact Pittsburgh YouTube page and check it out because you need to listen to that to get caught up with what we're dealing with today. You know, in its most basic sense of life and creation, you and I were created with the innate need for relationships. Everything we do, everything we are, is based on the need for relationships. That's how God created us, and that's how God hardwired us. That's why we seek attention, to be seen and known, because in the depths of our heart, we crave relationships. It's no mistake by God. That's how he created you. He created you as a relational being that is formed for the relationship of two parties. The first is God. We were created with a deep hole and deep need for him. All you're craving for attention is screaming loud and louder and louder in the depths of your soul. You need God. You need him. He's knocking at your heart. And likewise, he created us for relationship with others. Everything about who we are and why we exist is for the reality of a relationship. The relationship with others ultimately is supposed to guide us towards a relationship with God. Which leads us to a big question. A question we all tend to ask. Sometimes we verbalize it and sometimes we don't. And the question is this. Bill, what's the problem with sin? I mean, really, what is the big deal with sin? I get the fact that the scriptures were silenced and all sin is the same. But what's the big issue with sin? I mean, what's the real problem if I just kind of do this one little thing that's not that bad? Or if I live this way, I don't really feel I'm affecting anybody else. But you are. Because the reality is this. You were, interly, you were uh, intertwined and connected for relationships. You were created for relationships. And everything about you, you cannot escape it. Escape it is built for relationships. What's the problem of sin? The problem of sin is that it damages our relationships. That's the problem. It cuts to the core of how God created you and I for the need of relationships. And the problem of sin, no matter how small or how big you think it is, it damages the relationships in your life with others and with God. You don't believe me? Go back to the Ten Commandments. As you read through the Ten Commandments, one, there is only one God. Two, you will not bow down before another God. Three, you will not misuse the Lord God's name in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Five, honor your mother and father. Six, you shall not kill. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you, you shall not um, uh, judge or, go, I'm sorry, gossip about other people. Ten, you shall not covet. As you break down those Ten Commandments, the reality is this. The first set of commandments, did you see what they're all about? Your relationship with God. The second set of commandments, did you see what they're all about? Your relationships with other. The heartbeat of God is relationships. 
That's the problem of sin. When we sin, we break and hurt relationships, whether with others or with God. That's the problem of sin. That's why it matters so much. And here we see in this story two people. See, the Pharisee who just was looking for the spotlight, and he was thinking, I'm all that. Look how great I am. And this woman who was broken, broken with the reality of her sin. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? I think sometimes we really struggle because my fear is that we as a people group have become so individualistic that we have lost sight of the true value of relationships in our life. Going back to what we talked about last week, we live a life that it's all about me. We've become so sucked into the culture of individualism that we've lost the reality of the relationships in our life. How I affect others not what they do for me. And I don't think our heart breaks enough. I think our heart breaks when we don't get what we want. We don't get our way. But does our heart really break for the relationships in our life? When I realize, Phil, what you did messed us up. This brokenness here is because of you, Bill. Bill. It's not to live in guilt, but it's to be honest with it. My heart needs a break for the relationships in my life, whether they're bro- if they're broken or the relationships with God, if I torn it down. And here in this story, we see the silence of the scripture that is speaking so loudly that stop comparing yourself. Stop trying to identify, well, it's this sin or it's that sin. No, it's all sin. And it separates us from God. It breaks the relationships in our life. That's why it matters. That's why it matters so much. What the sin is, is not the primary issue. The issue is what sin does. The issue is that sin destroys our relationships. It destroys it. And our primary focus must shift away from what is the sin to what's up with your heart. Because everything starts there. You see, my friends, our, at, our focus must be on the attitude of the heart, not on the reality of what is the sin. When we focus on what is the sin, we oftentimes get misled and down a bad path that we don't really deal with the true issue. The true issue is the heart the attitude of our heart or those in our lives, their heart. Everything stems from the condition of your heart. Everything does. It's the root of who you are. Jesus said this in another passage, that what comes out of our mouths, what comes out of our lives, reveal what's in your heart. You cannot hide it. It eventually comes out. And this woman, this woman here, She came into this house. She crashed the party. And she brought this jar of extremely expensive perfume. The best of the best. You know, the perfume that she was carrying, it's it's estimated that it cost 300 denarii. One denarii equals a day's wage. So you do the math. 
This was the best of the best of what she had. And she brought it to Jesus completely broken and beaten down. And there she was. Luke 7, 38. As she stood behind him, as she stood behind Jesus, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. Can you just imagine the scene? She crashed the party. This Pharisee Simon and Jesus are just chilling out, eating the, uh, you know, the pulled pork, whatever they were having that night. That's probably unkosher, but they were having something, you know. They were just enjoying dinner, and then behind Jesus, he heard something. Heard this woman just crying. Heard this woman just sobbing. Why was this woman by, behind him crying? Why did she come into this house so broken? I don't think it was because she was guilty of her sin. I think there's something bigger than that. I think there was something greater going on in her heart. Because I think she was standing in the courtyard and she's probably talking, who's in the house of the Pharisee tonight? Who's dining? Oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I need to see him. I have to tell him something. I have to talk to him. I have to get in there. And there she was. When she got into his presence, she just couldn't help herself. She was just so overwhelmed with the emotions in her heart, the emotions of gratitude. Because as you read this story, there's the Greek language that highlights something very amazing about the story. You see, it's led to believe, based upon the Greek words used in the story, that this was not this woman's first encounter with Jesus. More than likely, she saw him before. In fact, she encountered Jesus probably before, and he forgave her sins. And she, she was washed clean. And because of that, she was just so overwhelmed with the emotions that the reality that I am completely messed up, do you know who I am? But you said you forgive me. And here she had the opportunity to come into his presence again. Just to say, Jesus, thank you. No one else sees me. No one else cares about me. But you did. And there she was just weeping. And then when Jesus turned around and he saw her. I can just imagine she, just everything began to boil up because maybe as she realized how thankful she was that this king of kings forgave her, she began to think through, ever since last week when you forgave me, I messed up again. I did this again. I did the same sin again. I'm back here again, but still you forgive me. Still you love me. Even when I mess up over and over again, you still bring me back into your presence. And when he looked her, when the eyeball-to-eyeball eyeball moment happened, she just fell down at his feet. And the Bible says she took her hair and she began to wipe the tears that were just making his feet wet. And in that day and age, for a woman to let her hair down was despicable. But she didn't care what anybody else thought. All she cared about was, this man, Jesus, saved me. And then she took that very expensive jar of perfume and she poured it all over his feet and continued to wipe it with her hair. She was so overwhelmed with the emotion of gratitude that Jesus noticed her, that Jesus valued her, and that Jesus forgave her. She experienced forgiveness. She experienced it. 
you know, probably in her gratitude, she realized that she's not worthy of it. She knows how her sin completely separated her and broke her relationship with God and hurt her relationship with other people. She realized that she's messed up and she's made mistakes over and over again. But here she stood before Jesus just overwhelmed with that thankfulness, that heart of gratitude. Despite her continuing being a messed up person, Jesus loves her. He still values her and he still forgives her. And there she was, kissing his dirty feet. The most despicable thing to do in that day. There she was, kissing his feet. Why was she doing such a humiliating, despicable deed? Pouring her most prized possession, all of her resources, onto his feet. Why? Because she realized the most important thing in her life was that man right there. And his name is Jesus. And she was so grateful for all that he's done in her life. Then there's the Pharisee. Just sitting there watching this unfold. I can just imagine what's going on in his mind thinking, wait, this is my party. This is my, my, my night. The spotlight should be on me in this moment. What's going on? Because what she did made no impression whatsoever on this Pharisee, Simon. His concern was that Jesus was actually allowing this sinful woman to be in his presence. And in Luke 7, 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You know, for the Pharisee, you know what he did? Because he was all about himself and probably never truly experienced forgiveness. In fact, he thought, I don't do anything wrong. I'm not, I'm not a bad person. My sin's not like hers. See what he did? He categorized this woman based upon her sin struggle. And we do it too. We categorize people based upon what sin they struggle with and whether how awful they are in our eyes or not. We do it all the time. And in so doing, we're not much different than the Pharisee. We're not much different than him. Because we think, you know what? What I've done is not that bad. The way I live, it's, it's okay. But what they did, that's awful. And we play that comparing game all the time. We classify people based upon their sin. We get caught up in the comparison game. We categorize sin. What God sees, you're all sinful and you all need me. God sees the heart. That woman on that night saw the heart of God. I think that was prior to tears. You see, the attitude of the heart impacts our experience with forgiveness. It really does. Your ability to experience forgiveness, either to experience it or to express it, is reflected by the attitude of your heart. The Pharisee, 
He felt he deserved it. He deserved that party. He deserved to, for Jesus to be in his presence. Maybe Jesus was even lucky to be in his presence. You know, that was his mindset. And he had an ungrateful heart. This woman, she was broken and in need of grace. And she realized, I'm a sinner. I messed up. And because of that, that hurt my relationship with other people and with God. I'm broken. And that led to the grateful heart. The Pharisee just could not deal with it. And so Jesus told him this story. Luke 7, 41 starts there. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, that's the Pharisee, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but, you, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which was a custom of welcoming, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. What Jesus was saying was, you think you're all that. You've never truly experienced forgiveness. And that way, you never experienced me. And then Jesus turned to the woman. He said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. My friends, our experience of forgiveness impacts our expression of forgiveness. The attitude of your heart affects how you experience forgiveness and how you express forgiveness. This story is the journey of, of mankind. It really is. Every one of us can put ourselves in that house as someone, either the Pharisee, Simon, or this woman. Every one of us identifies in some way with one of these two people. It's a story of our lives. And we all tend to walk one of these two paths, which are the conditions of our own heart. The Pharisee was self-focused, self-absorbed. He had no gratitude of forgiveness in his heart, and therefore he did not express forgiveness. All he did was categorize other people based upon their sin struggles to try to make himself feel better. And all this path does is destroy relationships. That's all it does. Before you know it, if that's your journey right now, before you know it, you will find the destructive path of the relationships in your life and ultimately with God. That's what sin does. And when we blind ourselves of the sin in our life, when we become individualistic and self-focused, and we blind ourselves, we lose out on the experience of forgiveness and we just destroy. We cause a wake of destruction of the relationships in our life. The woman... She realized her need for Jesus. She realized, I'm broken. I need you. She was so overwhelmed with gratitude because she realized the gravity of her sin and how Jesus had saved her. And she lived a life of gratitude. She came into Jesus and he saw that life of gratitude play out. She let her hair down. She wiped his feet. She kissed his feet. In other words, she did not care what anybody else thought. Her focus was Jesus. 
I think too often because our heart's desire to seek attention, we get so concerned about what other people think we allow it to damage our relationship with God. She says, I'm not doing that. I'm not falling prey to the customs of our, my world because I need him. I need him. And at some point, we need to adjust our focus away from trying to seek attention from those around us and on him because he's the one who saves And she moved to generosity. She realized, Jesus, my heart of worship is giving you all that I have. And she took her most expensive perfume. I mean, it took her months to save up for this bottle. And she poured it all on his feet. You know, when we give in generosity, we're saying, Jesus, you are the one who saved me. You are the one who takes care of me. You are the one who provides for me. And I'm just giving you all that I am. That's what the life of generosity is all about. That's what giving is all about. When we experience forgiveness, we are more open to express forgiveness. And really this path builds up to, builds relationships up when we express that, when we live that out. So where are you at? Where are you at? Are you like the Pharisee right now and you're just struggling to experience forgiveness? Maybe you're a little bit too self-focused, too self-absorbed. Maybe you need to take those blinders down and realize the brokenness in your life and be honest with it. Or maybe you're like the woman and you're just like, I realize I'm broken. I just need to focus on him. You know, if you need to talk to somebody today about where you're at, if you need to talk to somebody about how you can experience his forgiveness in your life, will you stop by the Engage Impact or just write on your, your Connect card or online and reach out to the host and just say, I need forgiveness. And we would love to talk to you and pray with you and help you experience the love of God in your life and what he means to you. Because God is moving in a mighty way and he wants to move in your life. But for us to experience all of him, we need to be honest with our brokenness, with our sin, and allow him to forgive us and then live a life of forgiveness with others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you because of how good you are. And Lord, I just give, come before you right now you know, in my brokenness and in our brokenness, Lord, how we have fallen short so many times. And Lord God, in this moment, may we just be honest with our brokenness and our sin. Be honest with you about it, that you may truly free us like you freed that woman. And Lord God, may we live a life of forgiveness towards others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.